welcome to another episode of the Birdstand Academy podcast. This is the show for online course creators who want to build a profitable business by sharing your skills and knowledge. This is your host, Welly Mulia. If you're not listening this on our website, go to academy.birdstand.co slash three to get your show notes. This show is brought to you by Birdstand email marketing tool, the only email marketing tool specifically created for online course creators get your free forever account at birdsend.co that's bird as in the flying bird and send as in sending emails birdsend.co today's special guest is ian brody ian works with consultants and coaches to help them attract and win more clients and become seen as authorities in their field he has been named as one of the top 50 global thought leaders in marketing and sales by top sales world magazine and one of the top 25 global influencers in sales and sales management by OpenView Labs. His number one Amazon best-selling book, Email Persuasion, teaches business owners and professionals how to captivate and engage their audience, build authority, and generate more sales with email marketing. Ian, thank you for coming up, for showing up to the podcast. It's great to have you. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Awesome. I know that you are a fan of email marketing. So you even have a book called Email Persuasion about this Mm -hmm. topic of email marketing. So what do you think is the one common misconception about the topic email marketing? You know, I think um, there are obviously lots of misconceptions, (laughs) as I'm sure you know. Um, But the one that I see time and time again, I'd say it's that people thinking of email marketing in terms of one size fits all. Um, and I think that comes down to two, from two perspectives. One is they think or hope, I guess, that there's one best way of doing email marketing. So, you know, they'll hear from one guy that you need to be broadcasting to your list a short, entertaining email every single day, and they'll try that. And they can't quite get that to work. And then they hear that, no, really, you need to use autoresponders and soap opera sequences. So they'll, they'll try that for a bit. And then, then they'll hear from another guy that, oh, well, when people sign up, you need to use gain logic fear. And they'll, they'll try that. And they end up with such a complete mix and match that they never get good at any one way of doing email. But the truth is there are lots of different ways that people use email successfully um, And really, rather than trying to find the one holy grail of the one best way of doing email that works for everyone, it's best to find one that that you can do, the you know where you can write those emails in that particular style with that particular frequency that you enjoy doing email like that, that kind of fits with your personality and the the nature of your business. So, for example, um, if you are emailing people who work in corporates, because of the deluge of emails that they get from colleagues and bosses etc which is different to an entrepreneur um mm-hmm. the email frequency may need to be different for example so you need to fit it with your, your particular clients and then just get good at that particular style of email um it's a bit like i guess if you if you're playing tennis you know in tennis some people do kind of serve and volley some people play from the baseline some people are very aggressive some people play more defensive and all of those different styles can work there are successful players at the very top level with different styles and different styles suit different types of playing surface better but yeah nobody succeeds in tennis by trying to master all the different styles and then mix and match them and try one for a bit and switch over to another you've got to pick one way of playing that works for you 
and then do that and learn how to do that really well. So I, I would say the one perspective on, on this one size fits all is, is stop obsessing about you know, the perfect way of emailing and taking more and more different courses and switching the way you do email to that one way. Just find a way that works for you and then go deep on that one way and get really good at doing that that one way. But I think the other the other element of one size fits all is do recognize that, it, you know, that when you're thinking of your customers, your clients, your, your email subscribers, um, Ideally, you want to be segmenting those as well. So one one type of email, one particular email, is not going to work for all of your subscribers. So sending the same thing to everyone is is probably not the best thing to do. So some people are more engaged than others. Some people are interested in some topics. You know, if you've got any breadth to your business at all, some people will be more interested in some of the things you have to say um, than than the others. So you want to try and find ways of moving people down paths where they're getting more of the emails they want and less of the emails they don't want. Even simple stuff, like if you want to promote a, a course on a particular topic, um, sending an email kind of talking about that topic and giving them a really great tip or a, some kind of hint or a free report on that topic, but then noticing who's clicked that, that topic, tagging them to say that they're interested in that particular topic and then when you're following up and wanting to send more emails about that topic, you know you can send more frequently to those people and less frequently to the people who aren't interested in the topic. Usually what people do is they, 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 they get somewhere in the middle. They go for an average because um, they're sending the same thing to everyone. And the downside of that is, for example, they're, they're not sending enough emails to the people who are really interested in the topic, but they're sending too many emails to people who aren't interested in the topic. And you want to try and segment so you send more to the people who are interested and fewer to the people who aren't, for example. just That's just one way of segmenting. But but not trying to do the same emails for everyone is generally a really good idea. Awesome. I think it's very interesting that you mentioned about the both of that, one uh, the segmenting thing and also the other one, the earlier one where you said about there's no perfect way or magic, perfect way of writing an email or sending out emails. It just depends on your personality or business types how can one especially for someone who is new to this or even just getting started how can one know the 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 style for for him to write the emails because he doesn't have any experience before that and you mentioned just now that it's good to find your own style your own writing type so that and then stick to that and become really good at it but how does one know which style to pick that's, that's a really, really insightful question. I think um, inevitably there's going to be a process of trial and error in there. I don't think you can expect to get it perfect on day one. But, you know, the good news is nobody's expecting you to get it perfect on day one. You, you just have to do something that is kind of okay and gets better and better over time. I think it's a bit like um, the way people, you know, traditional um, learning of, of painting, for example, you would copy the old masters. You'd copy, um, especially I think in uh, in Japan, the style was you would you would for years copy the, the the techniques and the paintings of the masters, and then once you'd learned that, then you would branch out and try your own techniques, etc. So I think what I would do is if I was starting out was I would subscribe to a lot of emails uh, and um, of people, either people in my own field or people in other fields as well, and just read them and see which types of emails really clicked for me. Now, you've got to 
realize that you're not your client. So what clicks for you isn't necessarily going to click for your client. But putting yourself in the, you know, there is an element to which it's got to work for you as well as your clients. Because if you don't like a particular style of writing emails and you don't enjoy it and you're not good at it, um, you're just not going to do it and you're, and you're not going to build any skills in it. So subscribe to a whole bunch of emails. See what style of email gets you the most engaged and gets you the most interested and you are the most you have the most fun with. So when I first got it, got into emails, um, I personally enjoyed e- reading emails that were a bit longer, that were a bit more involved, um, that had a story to them that continued across multiple emails where I could follow them over time. Um, they were a bit lighthearted, a bit fun, but always had some really good content in there and always had something really useful. They weren't just pure entertainment. Um, there are very, some very successful email, emailers, for example, who will get quite angry in their emails and have a rant about things or complain about things. Um, and that's a very successful style. But when I was subscribing to those emails, I just didn't enjoy reading them and it didn't click for me. So I fairly quickly unsubscribed. Um, and therefore, when I started developing my own style, I was basing it first on the types of emails I enjoyed receiving um, and learning from them and kind of looking at them and saying, well, what are they, what are they actually doing here? What, when I first signed up, what type of email did I get? What were they trying to do in that email? Um, were, were they trying to build a relationship with me? Were they trying to really impress me? Were they trying to give me something valuable really quickly? And then what the following emails were, you know, just look a little bit behind and try and think what are they trying to do? So I think the, the thing to do is to, before you suddenly launch your own emails, um, subscribe to other people's and just and just see the see the styles you like. And then obviously without copying and without copying the same emails, try, try and get to the principle behind the email and try and adopt a similar style. And then what you'll find is the more and more you write, the better your writing gets and the more you get into a groove um, and the more it becomes your own. So, you know, and let be, to be perfectly frank, and I'm sure you would say this it would be true for you, my first emails that I sent out were not very good because right. no, one, no one is really good on day one. It's it just, it's a fantasy to think you'll be really good, really great on day one, but you have to do it because unless you do bad emails or half okay emails on day one, you're never going to do good emails on day 101. Right. Yeah, I think there's a very good thing to say because it's in anything, not just emails. I mean, you, you're not going to be good at it on day one. So it's like, for example, if we, if we think back when we were kids, we were trying to try to ride a bicycle and, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. So you, 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 you fall down, you get back up, you try to ride again you get back up again and then over time you get better. So with any skills, uh, it's, it's going to be, takes time to, to, to get good at the skills. So that is a very important point I think that you mentioned. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, what? I just like to add there. I think one, I think email is a medium where that kind of learning as you go along is particularly, um, helpful. And one of the nice things about email is because it's a drip, drip, drip over time, it means you're not reliant on every single email being perfect. So if you imagine you're trying to sell something with a sales page on a website or a single sales video on a website, if everything is reliant on that single sales letter or that single sales video, 
then that video has to be great and that or that sales page has to be great otherwise you're going to get no or very few sales but with email you're not doing it in all in one go um, you're doing it drip 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 over time so you can send an email and then another email and then another email and what one of those emails could be awful doesn't really matter because there's another email coming the next day where that could be good and could really click for them so um, it's easier to make mistakes with email, I think, because you you know obviously if it's really really bad and you you really offend people, they're going to unsubscribe and you don't get a second chance. But by and large, people don't, and you you get you're always getting a second chance with an email because there's an always another email coming the next day or two days or five days later or whatever. Right, and the best thing is that email is almost free. I say almost because yeah. you still have to pay just for the for the software to send out the emails, but it's very very minimal compared to to the returns that you get, as, and also compared to other mediums. For example, like you said, the TV, radio, it just costs uh, so much more affordable for emails. And yeah. yeah, and just like you mentioned about drip for for people for listeners on this show, they might not be familiar with the term drip drip drip. So what does what does drip mean? Um, all, all I really mean there, and it can it can mean it in two senses. One is if you have an automation or an autoresponder that's pre-programmed to send out a sequence of emails over time. Um, I guess that's the, the kind of ultimate drip that you've pre-programmed things, and there's a logical sequence to the emails. You've pre-thought through, I'm going to send this and send this and send this. And again, that's one of the nice things about email is that in a sales letter, you have to cover absolutely everything that the person would need to believe or see or think um, to be convinced to buy. Mm -hmm. But with an email, you don't have to get that all in the one email. You can you can get you can embed those little messages across emails over time. So you're taking the one thing you need to do and spreading it out over time. So you're dripping it out, as it were. But I think when I, when I'm talking about dripping there, I just mean that um, you know it's not all in one go that, that there's always another email always another day and so any messages you want to get out you've got multiple attempts you can get the same message out in different ways over time you can split up a message and get it out um, through multiple emails um, and that means you can you know you get multiple bites at the at the apple or the cherry it also means you get to reinforce messages over time because you've got multiple emails and it means you can get a big message, but you can split it up to make it more digestible for people as well. Because again, the emails are coming out over time. Okay. When you say over time, does that mean that you use the software to make it go out automatically? Or do we have to, let's say that we want to send emails over time for the next 14 days? Do we actually go into the computer and log into our accounts and the emails every day for the, for the next 14 days? You could do that, but by and large, I would recommend pre-programming it in an in an autoresponder or an automation or whatever the the software calls it. Um, I think there are some people who recommend broadcasting to your email list every day and doing everything fresh, and that means you're able to react to events in the world and things like that. And that's one way of doing it, and that's perfectly fine. Um, in fact, it could be a very good way of doing it. My experience, though, is with the type of people I work with. They're not spending every single day on marketing. They're not dedicated to doing marketing. They work, they're working with clients. Most of the people I work with are consultants, for example, or coaches. So 80% of their time, they're working with clients. So they only have, let's say, one day a week to do their marketing, which would include emails. 
Um, so they're not going to be able to, to sit down and, you know, it's not easy for them to sit down and write an email every day and keep that going. It's easier for them to take out a day and write a predefined sequence of emails and set that up. So once people sign up, they get the predefined sequence of emails. And then in a year, in two years, in five years time, the same sequence of emails is going out to people and they're not having to, to write another one all the time. Every, and it also means everyone gets your best emails as well. Um, I certainly found this that uh, um, I have, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this, but when people sign up for my emails, um, the sequence they go on today is probably about five years long because I've, I've had a, I, I, I have little, I have little short sequences, obviously, which is the mo- the most recommended thing. But what I've, what I've done for over five years is just written an email a week, kind of longer email, a more personal email, and what I realised fairly soon was. Um, all of us, nobody is superhuman. We, only, we all just have a limited range of good ideas. And um, so over five years, I'm not saying that I've run out of ideas, but what I am saying is some of my very best emails I wrote five years ago or I wrote three years ago or I wrote two years ago. And if, if I was only ever to broadcast my emails and not put them in an automation where everyone got them from the very start, it would mean that if someone joined today, they would not get my very best email that I sent out three years ago that I got a fantastic reaction from people from. And people wrote to me and said this was super helpful for them and et cetera, et cetera. So by using automation, by using autoresponders, um, it also means not only does it take the workload away, but it also means everyone gets to see your best emails. It also means you get to, you can, if you want to get into it, you can tweak those emails over time. You can split test different emails um, to see which ones work best and replace one with another. Um, you can act based on the feedback and go go and update the emails. So I, I personally like to pre-program the emails and have them going out in a sequence. Five years. That's a really, really long sequence. So do you mean... Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. The, no, I, I honestly, I, I wish I hadn't said that now. I don't, I don't, it's not something I would just recommend. It's just that I will send out a once a week, kind of like a, like a broadcast to my list. But rather than just making it a broadcast, I just add it on the end of a long autoresponder. So, so each each of the emails is evergreen. So during the week, or if someone shows an interest in something, they might be going onto a much shorter sequence that might last a week or two weeks. But um, if you join my list today, after going on an initial sequence, which I which um, I, I, I change every now and then you start getting my regular best tips on how to win clients as a consultant or a coach. And those emails have been going, you know, there are a lot of those emails because I've been doing this for a long time and those emails are good. Now, over time, if I don't like an email, I'll take it out of the sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's basically my very best emails that people go into the list of and there's about five years worth of them. Okay, cool. So when but, you... no, no, but I just want to stress, I'm not saying to people write five years worth of emails. <laughs> no, my, my, you know, my five years worth of emails happened over five years. I've been writing emails for longer than five years, but I started adding them in this sequence you know, five or so years ago, and so I happened to have it. All I'm saying is always think about reusing. So when you write sequences, people can go through them time and time again. Even if you're sending a weekly broadcast newsletter, if it's evergreen, Think about how you can reuse those emails so that new people who join your list get the benefit of that great email you send out. Yep, that's a great, great strategy. So when you send these autoresponder emails, or as you call it, drip emails, and when you do the broadcast emails, which is fresh, 
do you also broadcast to new subscribers who are still going through the your automated sequence or how 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 does that work it's it's a mix so what i will do is i have a, an initial sequence so when people first join my email list there's a specific sequence of emails they get that's usually focused on obviously giving people great value about the reason on the reason that they signed up so if i offer a lead magnet on a particular topic, they'll get a, a series of follow-up emails that are related to that topic that give them more information and more value related to that topic. But they are also designed to promote a product related to that topic as well. Mm. Um, so when people are on that initial sequence, um, they are tagged or, or not tagged so that they don't get the broadcasts. So I won't interrupt that initial sequence because it's a, it's a set pre-programmed sequence where I've pre-thought through, A, you know, if someone had signed up for, you know, emails on um, an email, a, a lead magnet about how to become seen as an authority in your field, I have a, a follow-up email sequence that goes with the lead magnet that gives them more information about how to become an authority and leads up to a promotion for my program on becoming seen as an authority. Um, and I don't want random broadcasts um, interrupting that, that that will seem out of sequence. They're, they're thought through. I've thought through um, both how do I add value to people, but also what do people actually need to have going on in their heads to be ready to buy this thing. Um, and I've programmed my emails to do that, to feed them the right information they need to be comfortable buying, to show them the value of being an authority, to show them that definitely is possible, there are different ways of doing it, that I've successfully helped people become authorities, etc. And I've woven that into the valuable emails. And I don't want to sort of, hey, I'm doing a webinar on some completely different topic next week, to interrupt that and, and confuse them and make them think what's going on. So I use within my email system kind of tagging that, that basically blocks them off from getting the broadcasts until they finish the end of that sequence. Now, when they finish the end of that sequence, they go under this five-year thing. And I'll, I'll give you a caveat to that later. But, uh, but basically, in theory, they go under this five-year thing. And those emails are interruptible. They, those emails are just once a week then. And it's kind of my best client-winning tips, tips that they're going to get once a week. And broadcasting to the people who are under that big sequence, that's absolutely fine because the the, the emails that, are, that they're getting once a week, they kind of build on each other, but they're not they're not reliant on, uh, on 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 being close together and not being interrupted. They are gently promoting my ongoing membership program usually, rather than you know working up to a to a bigger program or something something specific. So um, and some of them don't promote anything at all. They're more about you know, just helping people. So it's okay to interrupt those with broadcasts. Now, um, the caveat I'll give is sometimes I'm at, if I'm doing a, if you were doing a product launch, for example, I would stop the week, I would pause the week, the weekly big sequence and just do, do an, a, a series of emails related to a product launch um, because that then becomes the priority. And then when the product launch thing is finished, let's say it was, it was taking two weeks, I would restart people where they were on the sequence of the, the, the longer sequence. Cool. And that, that's probably a little bit of an overcomplicated method. But then again, I did write a book on email marketing, so I should be able to do things more complicated. Um, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily recommend everyone gets that complicated. Um, what I like that's, that's simple is, the, is the, the startup where you're focusing on promoting a particular product. Try not to interrupt that. 
with broadcasts because it'll, it'll it'll throw people off. You want people following that one path. Um, you could, if you want, do more promotional sequences after that. So I happen to have one. I used to have two. You could run three or four promoting specific products in a chain. You try not to interrupt those with broadcasts. But then if you've moved to the point where people haven't bought any of those or they've bought them and moved on, then then, then you can interrupt it with broadcasts. With the... You mentioned that when a new subscriber joins, for example, for a specific lead magnet, mm-hmm. you are going to have this sequence of emails sent to them and leading up with each email, you're providing value and then you're trying to sell you, in your case, the, the authority. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, one, that's one of the lead magnets in one of the, one of the programs, yeah. Okay, so, so let's take that as, a, as an example. So when you promote them to your, to, your, to your product or service, the authority, is that like an evergreen promotion? So is it because I see a lot of course creators, online training programs, a lot of them use the open and close card. So it's only available, for example, two or three times a year. Is it, is it like that? Or is your lead magnet leading to a product offer, which is an evergreen, which is open all the year round? I do, I do both. So the, as it happens, the authority program is, a, is an open-closed thing. So it's only open actually once a year. So what will happen is um, the first time I promote it and uh, at, at certain times leading up to when I want to promote that, I'll make the lead magnet available to people. So that would either be promoting the lead magnet more generally on social, etc., or re-offering the lead magnet to people on my existing list who maybe haven't had it before or even who had it but wanted again because, you know, a year's passed. Um, so that's a closed one. It only runs for a certain period of time. But when that one is not running, then I have my more general lead magnet that um, promotes my membership program. And I have occasionally used the same thing to promote a smaller course that's like in the, you know, in the digital marketer terminology is a tripwire course leading to the membership program as a kind of upsell um, and that's what I have as the uh, as the lead magnet and the initial sequence for most of the year. And that's an evergreen program. So that that's kind of, let's say, 10 months, 11 months of the year, that's running evergreen. And then one month of the year, switching the authority thing, which is, which is a, a once a year thing. Cool. When, when you say just now you, for the authority offer, which is an open-close thing, so if... You mentioned if you are not, if you're closing, if you're not taking orders soon, then you're not going to run the lead magnet. When you say not running the lead magnet, do you mean like you pull it down from your website or you just uh, let it there? It's, it's still there, but you just don't actively promote it? Yeah, it's more that. So sometimes I will have it on the on the homepage of my website Um and I might actively promote it through social, through, you know, advertising um, or, or whatever other channel or, or email out to my existing list about it. Um, and but, but when it's not running, I'll have a different lead magnet on the homepage. I obviously won't run any ads for it, but it will still be there. People can still find it. Um, people can still sign up for it. Um, but what happens is they get the same kind of value emails. It gets them ready. But then at the end, they essentially it obviously tells them the program's not running, but if they submit an application for the program, it'll put them in the in the wait list for when the program is running again. Got it.
So we have talked quite a lot about emails, and this was probably a weird start for you, Ian, because <laughs> usually, uh, with usually with the podcast interviews, the host usually asks, "Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background." I like to do things a little bit differently, so uh, stick to the main topic, which is your folk, which is what uh, this is email marketing for online course creators. And especially, you are an email marketing expert, so I focus on that email things first. So now, tell us about what projects are you working on these days? Okay, so um, a couple of things. Um, I I suppose three uh, in reality. One one is I've relaunched the Authority Program for its annual thing um, fairly recently, so I'm enrolling new new clients, new customers into that, and. Uh, you know, that's doing what it's doing. People are going through the email sequences. Um, people are making applications. I'm reviewing applications. And if needed, we're getting on the phone and uh, having a quick chat about their application and whether they'd be a good fit for the program. So that's one thing. Um, second thing is I have an ongoing um, membership program, which is more generally about marketing and sales and getting more clients for consultants and coaches, so service businesses like that. Mm. Um, and that obviously being ongoing means two things. One is uh, I have things I do every month, so I do a, a webinar every month for those guys so that we've got a Q&A webinar coming up tomorrow Tomorrow that I'm doing. Um, we have, I'm constantly updating the content in there. <clears throat> some content, of course, is evergreen. <coughs> oh, excuse me. But some content needs updating. So, for example, um, probably in the last six months, content marketing on LinkedIn has got quite big. They've changed the algorithm. It's increasingly popular and uh, possible to get in front of your target audience on LinkedIn, much more so than it was in the past. So I've just updated the LinkedIn module to, to, to have that kind of stuff in it. So, um, so I'm constantly enrolling new members into there and producing new content for that. Um, and in the background, I'm working on a little mini course to use as a kind of tripwire course that will then, I hate that terminology, but everyone uses it. But then if people <laughs> buy that, then the upsell, the continuity will be to the membership program. So, you know, isn't it awful that we use the word tripwire to mean something of incredible value that people finding Im immensely useful, so useful that they want to buy something else from you. But that, that's just the industry terminology for you. Um, so I'm working on that in the background. And then the third thing is I also do um, the kind of marketing stuff for my wife's business, which is um, she does um, online summits and a kind of um, web TV show every week for people who work in the early years, which is people who work in nurseries and things like that. Cool. So your wife must be very lucky to have you as, um, as a digital marketing and email marketing expert to help her out. Well, you know, you know how it is with husband and wife. That um, she's never going to admit that, is she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think the best thing is, um, I mean, yeah. Sometimes if you get too close, you, the the partner might take might take you for granted and not really take it seriously. Is that sometimes how it works, right? Yeah. Um, I think you know, you know, the interesting the interesting thing is the. Uh, and Kathy has got really quite good at this stuff um, recently. I mean, obviously her background, my background has been in marketing for 20 or more years. I used to do it for bigger corporates and then, you know, gradually came down to doing it for small organizations and then consultants and coaches like, like my background. But Kathy's background was in early years education, so nothing to do with marketing. But she's really picked it up very rapidly. The, uh, 
the the use of online summits has been a huge and that was her initiative and that was been a a kind of huge win for her in terms of building an email list really fast um from from scratch in just a couple of years um and she's i hear her on the phone every now and then talking to people because her sector is not very marketing oriented so there are a lot of experts in that field uh, who just you know who don't have email lists of very small social media presences and so she's kind of advising them she's interviewing them for a tv thing or for or for a summit and then afterwards they're talking they're saying, she, she's saying well you know we're sending people to your website you ought to have an email sign-up form and give them something for free and, and follow up with emails because that's the only way you're going to build a relationship with them and actually make some money. Um, so it's interesting to hear her kind of preaching the gospel of email marketing too. Awesome. So Ian, tell us how, now that's the part of where I would we would like to ask you to tell a little bit about yourself specifically how everything got started especially with you know with working with clients with using email marketing to to with, with using this channel to uh, build a relationship and then engaging them and then of course ultimately uh, making you sales so how did all of this happen gosh well in many ways it's quite a long story so uh but i'll try and i'll try and be brief um i had a a, a Shortish six seven year career in in industry and high tech doing R and D, um, and then my company um, sponsored me to do uh, an MBA degree, and that went uh, with the goal of making me a better manager. I'm a hopeless manager, and they wanted to make me a better manager of other people, um, and they sent me on that. And basically, I fell in love with marketing and strategy when I went on the program. The first marketing lecture I went in, I just thought, whoa. This is just a complete, and I was a technical R&D guy, and I just thought, this is just so interesting and so fun. This is what I want to do. So uh, after the MBA, I kind of quit the corporate life and went off to work for a consulting firm. That was mm -hmm. back in 94. That was the first big career change for me. And that was very different because instead of being in a kind of fixed career where you did the same thing again and again and again and got better and better at it, with consulting, you're, you're addressing a new problem. You know, almost on a weekly basis, new clients, new problems, mm. lots of learning going on all the time. Even if you're using your expertise, you're always learning. Um, so I did that for a number of years. Um, eventually was working as a director of a, a kind of medium-sized consulting firm. And I just wasn't being able to do the things I wanted to do. In particular, when it came to online, I had a really funny experience where a friend of mine, who is a professional magician based in London, he actually phoned me up while I was at work and he said, Ian, go into Google and type magician. And I typed magician into Google and he was number one in the world. So this was back in the day before many people knew anything about SEO. And, you know, my friend is a good magician, but he's not exactly David Copperfield or anyone well-known or anything like that. So to see him top of Google, I was like astounded. It was basically because he was the first magician who actually got a grip on SEO and uh, in the day and he made it to the top. And I thought, well, you know what? If and, and I asked him about, well, what's that doing for you? And he's saying, well, normally as a as a magician who works in parties and restaurants, etc., all my business has always come from word of mouth. It's the only way people will hire a magician traditionally is word of mouth. There's no way you can advertise, but word of mouth is what works. But I now get eighty percent of my bookings from Google. You know, people finding me through that and going to the website. And I thought, you know what? If that can work for a magician, it can work for a consultant. And the reason I quit to set up my own business was that my own, the firm I was working for, even though I was a director and had some influence, did not 
push hard enough, I thought, down the online route. So I decided to, to set up my own business. Initially, I was going to work and deliver work locally, but market online. And that worked. But then I found that I could actually deliver work online as well through online courses, through using, you know, go to webinar or eventually Zoom and, and Skype to do coaching um, and to, to work with people online. And suddenly when that geographic restriction was lifted, when I could have online courses that people would buy and I didn't have to travel and, and it, I didn't have to be to have clients who were based somewhere physically close by, that just kind of changed the world for me and that suddenly I could get more niche I could focus on just on the consultants and coaches I love working with um, and do and do that globally. So that's kind of how I got into it, almost by accident, by that friend of mine saying, hey, and Google magician. And, uh, and that really got all the kind of wheels turning and me thinking, look at the possibilities of this. Awesome story. So how did, why did you, I mean, obviously, you know a lot of things about digital marketing and sales funnels, but why is it that you chose to write a book on email marketing? Um, there was another one of those things. I'm sure when you interview people, you find out lots of things kind of happen by accident uh, or various things coming together. So it was a couple of things. One is I'd begun to develop a reputation for email marketing. So I found that when I first set up my own business, I started blogging um, because I just had things I wanted to see. There wasn't any particular great goal or I wasn't thinking blogging would make me rich. I just thought, you know, there are things in my field about marketing and sales for consultants that I would like to say that I don't think anyone is seeing. Um, and so I was writing quite a lot. And then that blogging naturally turned into, obviously, if you do any reading around, and, and in particular, a friend of mine at the time said, hey, you should try that email marketing thing. And I, I resisted for about a year. and thought, no, email, that's really old-fashioned. Don't want to do that. Uh, eventually, I was persuaded. And then all of a sudden, you know, the sales started increasing through through the emails. But because I was writing a lot, I guess my my I got reasonably good at it. Um, and people were, you know, beginning to email back to me and start saying, you know, do you teach this? You know, yeah, I could join your, your program and learn about marketing generally. But what I really want to know about is the email stuff. So at the time, I created um, a little online course for email marketing that people could take. Um, and a kind of free email sequence and stuff like that. And then about that time, I was approached by a lady who taught people how to write books. Mm. And her uh, concept was a, like, a, like a boot camp where you go away for a weekend, but you do it via webinar and you write a book, you, or at least you break the back of it. You get most of it done in a weekend. Um, and I thought, well, that sounds really good because my people, consultants, for example, are the sort of people that, where a book is good marketing for them. But it's really difficult to write a book, especially a good one. Um, so if you can, if you've got a course that helps them do that, great. But I can't promote something that I don't know doesn't work. I can't jointly promote it and tell them it's great if I don't know it doesn't work. It, it works. Mm -hmm. So I tell you what, I'll go to your website and I'll buy your course. Don't give me a discount or anything. I just want to buy like a normal customer. I'll buy your course. I'll come on your next program, and then I'll try and write a book myself. And she said, "Well, that's great. Well, what would you write the book about?" And I went, "I don't really know." Um, tell you what. Because um, she she'd said to me she wanted to promote my email um, expertise. I said, why don't I write it about email marketing? Because then when we talk about things, I can talk about you know you can mention how I've written the book on email marketing, and that gives me some credibility with your audience who I'm going to do a webinar for about email marketing. So it kind of came about through that. Um, 
and really that just means two factors. One is I was getting very good at it. People were asking me how, how I did it. And secondly, the opportunity came up to write a book and I needed a topic and that just seemed like the right one to do. And indeed, as it turned out, a methodology worked. You know, I, I did the boot camp for a weekend. It was US times and I was in the UK. So my weekends were starting late and work, working really late into the night. Didn't see my family for, for three days, essentially. But by the end of that three days, I had the draft of a book um, on audio. A day or two later, I had the transcription. And then after some editing and stuff like that, I actually had, a, I had my book. Awesome. So having been in this industry for so long and, you know, we've, you created your own trading programs, online courses, so you have a lot of experience in this area. What do you think is the number one problem people face when trying to create their online courses or online training programs? You know what? I think, I think it's fairly simple and I don't think it's a message that's heard often enough that I think the number one problem is just not finding the right product for the right market. Um, you know, market, people like us who, who teach marketing, we're forever telling people that, you know, marketing is the answer. You've got to, you've got to really be really good at marketing. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. And then people will tell a particular type of marketing. But, you know, if you have got a, a great product that a market is really hungry for, you can, you can do okay with, with pretty mediocre marketing. You can't survive with no marketing. You know, someone's got to know about it. But okay marketing is enough. On the other hand, if you've, got a, if you've got a course that nobody wants, that your audience doesn't value, it doesn't matter how brilliant your marketing is, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, so getting a, a product, a course that people actually want is absolutely crucial. So the more time you can invest in that and getting it right through initially through, through talking, you know, actually talk, not, not just surveys, surveys are great, but actually talking to potential customers and finding out what their really big problems are so knowing that your course will help them with that is really vital. But it's also about more than that because there are some problems that people won't buy courses for. You know, the, um, for example, if it's a problem for them, but maybe it's not one of their top one, two, or three problems. I call it being close to the jugular. You know, like a really, I've got, I've got something sticking out of my neck. It's about to kill me. The, the kind of thing that it's got to be one of those problems or they won't buy a course on it. Or, you know, the uh, it could be that, 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 you know, it's a problem that they have that you see as an expert, they've got a really big problem, but they don't know they've got the problem. And if they don't know they've got the problem, online it's really difficult to sell that. If you're talking to them face-to-face, you'd maybe be able to talk to them about it and, and let them see it. But online, they're not even going to read any of your content if they don't know they've got a problem in that area. Or, or maybe they don't want a course at all. Maybe they want someone to just come in and fix it for them. So you've got to think through that angle. You know, what do they actually want for a solution? And also the type of person. Um, I have a lot of my clients um, work with large corporates, and sometimes what they do is they think, well, I don't want to do this consulting anymore, training, it's too much hard work, I want to make an online course, and they'll try and just take what they were training people on and turn that into an online course. And one of the problems with that is if you're training employees in an organization, typically employees expect their, their, their employer to pay for their training. And typically online courses are bought by people for themselves. So in a way, those are, you know, Online courses are mainly bought by kind of entrepreneurs, people who own businesses, people who want to make a change in career, people doing something for themselves because they've got to get their credit card out and pay. If, you know, you're an employed person and the skill you're thinking about learning, you know, if you're a middle manager in a corporate and you, and you know you've got to improve your leadership skills, chances are you're going to go to your employer and say, I need a course on, on leadership mm -hmm. or, or your employer will talk to you about it. 
and you'd expect them to buy it, which means they're probably only going to, going to try and use the same course for everyone in the company, and it has to go through the procurement process. And all. It's unlikely that they'll just give you $500 to go off and buy what you want online. So you've got to understand the audience and who buys online courses, and you've got to pick a topic that really is important to them that they're willing to, to, to you know, to, to pay money to get the outcome you're looking, they're looking for. So talking to customers is one of the ways that you mentioned that we can get to know our market well enough. What happens if someone is, they don't have any customers yet? Who do they talk to? Um, talk, well, talk to anyone you can in that marketplace. I find that you'll have to knock on a few doors. Not everyone will say yes. But many people are quite generous with their time if you're genuinely asking for advice. Um, if, uh, and you can couch this as a, just a kind of interview. You can couch it as a research project. You genuinely have to do the research, though. You, you try and say, I'm doing research into this, and really you're just using it to sell to them. That's not going to work. But if you're genuinely researching a market, a number of people will say yes and will give you information. Now, you can do it on a... On a ski, you can just have informal chats with people. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just moving into this um, new field. I've got some ideas. Can I just bounce some ideas um, off you and find out more about what's really important to people in your situation or people in your position, etc. Grab a coffee with them. Do it over the telephone. Um, that 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 all works to give you kind of qualitative information. You can then follow that up with a survey where you reach out, and, and there you might go to, to groups on Facebook or, or even LinkedIn, or LinkedIn groups are awful. Um, but if you can find groups of people you can run a survey with um, and, and get data through that, you can even pay for it, you know, to, to be paid advertising to do a survey if you're really serious. Um, and then, of course, you kind of move into pilot mode. The ultimate test of, you know, get people to pay for something before you build it um, is another good approach to finding out whether that market exists. But start out by, by talking to people. You know, use, use contacts. If, you know, one of the things LinkedIn is really good for is to see who you know that knows other people. So if you do a search for people in your market, if you can identify them with LinkedIn search criteria, and then just see who your common contacts are and look for an introduction and ask them to introduce you because you'd like to do some research about that market. And one of the things it's worth noting is if you try that, and if you try and find people to talk to and you cannot find anyone in the market who will speak to you and give you feedback on what would work as a product, the chances are you just don't know enough about that market and you're not well enough connected to make it a success. I would try and find another market because, you know, if you don't know anyone in the market um, to speak to, how are you ever going to come up with a product that uh, a course that they that they're going to value, and how are you going to kickstart your marketing and get feedback on that course and stuff like that? So you so you, if you can't, if you really struggle to do it, it, it's you know it's a tough message. But if you can't find anyone to talk to about it, it's a good sign that this is not going to work for you, and you need to find another one where you can. Um, now there are ways of doing things. When I just to, to go back in time, when I first set up my own business, if you remember, I was working locally. Um, I was using online marketing, but I was working locally. Um, and because I was working locally, there are not enough, where I'm from in, in the UK, where I live in the UK, it's kind of the middle near Manchester, um, and it's it's not a big enough place that there are loads and loads of consulting firms or, or coaching firms that I could go and do training for or do, go and work for um, who have enough money to pay me. It's all kind of solos and independents. But there were loads of law firms 
because um, law firms tend to be bigger. Um, so, but law firms tend not to work with anyone who's not a lawyer. You know, oh, you haven't spent 10 years as a lawyer? Well, you can't possibly advise us on marketing. Well, you're hopeless at marketing. All law firms are hopeless at marketing. I'm good at it. Yeah, but you're not a lawyer. You don't understand us. But what I did was I did interviews. So I um, created this thing I called the Business Development Northwest, because it's the Northwest of England, mm -hmm. interview 2008. Business Development Northwest 2008. Um, I went out and I started with just friends of friends. So through, just through local networking, I knew two or three lawyers. And then I asked people if they knew a lawyer I could interview. And I got um, eventually interviewed 20 partners in law firms and did, a, did quite a structured interview for an hour about business development best practices. Um, and I got loads of feedback from them. By the end of that interview, when I had the results, all of a sudden I'd gone from them not wanting to talk to me about marketing to really wanting to talk to me because no one they knew had that much knowledge across, uh, you know, cross-sectional knowledge of what best practice was for business development for lawyers. And you can do the same when you're thinking of coming up with a course because you can, you can do a research thing like that and use the research, the report as a lead magnet, for example. So not only does it tell you what needs to be in a course, but it also gives you a lead magnet that the published research that, that people who are interested in that topic and who are likely candidates for the course would really value. So, you, so as I say, you can either do it really informally and just have a chat over coffee and that's quicker, or if you want to go into it kind of big style and you've decided this is your future, then if that will get you into places you couldn't otherwise. So I was, I was maybe a little bit flippant before where I said if you, you, know, if you don't know anyone, you'll never you just give up. If you're at that stage, consider doing it seriously with a research project because that opens doors. I mean, there's a big difference between phoning someone you don't know or emailing someone you don't know and say, can I come to talk to you about you know, you're buying something from me and saying, I'm doing a research project about, I don't know, um, you know, um, best practice leadership in technology firms. Um, I'd like to interview you for that research project and I'll publish it and I'll give you special access to the, to the results. Would you like to take part? And there's a good chance they'll say yes to that, even when you're doing it relatively cold. So probably about a third of the people I interviewed were cold and the rest of them were once I'd interviewed someone called, I said, you know, who else would you recommend I speak to? And then they would introduce me to other people who I could do the interviews with. And just by doing that, you've suddenly built a bit of a contact base. You've got loads of useful information that will help you with the course, and you've got a great lead magnet. So uh, that research thing is a good strategy as well. It does take investment, but, you know, if you, you're brand new to a market, it's a really good type of investment to make. I think that is a very, very smart strategy to go for. So before we wrap up, yeah, uh huh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it, I completely agree. I mean, it it really worked for me um, back then, and I've seen it work for others. Where it is, it enables you to break into a market and become seen as an expert really quickly, um, even if you've got no background in that market. You have to know what you're talking about. You have to have good knowledge of the of the subject, but it allows you to break into a different market. Um, and build up your knowledge really quickly and be seen as an expert because you've got something they haven't got. Even if they've spent 20 years in that business, they've not talked to 20 different people about it in the same way you have or 30 or, or 10 or, or whatever. They just don't have the data you have, which makes it really attractive to them to, to, to come to you. Cool. So last question. If you can only give one advice to people who want to build a successful online course business, what will it be? I'm going to say step by step and keep it simple. So start off by choosing a small course. 
don't try and make a two thousand dollar course where you have to invest so much in video and and whatever to make a really high level course and you have to say you know your promotion has to be huge etc do something small um and iterate so do what we were talking about before go out and talk to people and find out what they really need and find out what is is vital and what they're willing to pay for then follow that up with a survey to confirm that there's a bigger need and then do a pilot of it do so do a paid pilot so before you start creating all the material, do an outline of what's come out of your, your your analysis as to what the topics would be on the course, and just go back to some of the people you've spoken to and a bit wider and say, look, you know, thanks thanks for doing that. I've, as a result, I've come up with this course. For the first people on it, I'm going to do it for half price as a way of saying thank you for taking part in my you know my study, etc. Um, and it's a pilot, it's the first time I work intensively with you as we develop the course. You know, sign up here and pay here. And do that before you actually. You have to know you can develop the material. You can't sell it and then say and then fail to deliver. So you have to know you can do it, and you have to tell them what it's going to be. But you know, if people sign up, and this is what my wife did for her very first course, um, and she wasn't one hundred percent convinced people would sign up. But uh, so she was looking for. I think she set the limit on twenty-two course members because it was a lucky number. So for the pilot. Limit of 22. In three days, 25 had signed up. We weren't fast enough closing the cart because <laughs> then they sneaked in. Uh, and it was like, all right, oh, it's going to happen then. And that there's nothing gives you confidence like sales. <laughs> um, right. And then, then, she went off, then she went off and developed the course, delivered it to the pilot members. They gave her great testimonials. We added a few things to it as a result of the feedback. And then it went on to the next iteration of launching it more widely to a full list and stuff like that. But a little, a little pilot first is always a good thing. But that's part of that iteration strategy. Start small and build. Awesome. How do people get to get in touch with you, Ian, if they want to know about what you do, your work, and your training programs? Where do they find you? Brilliant. Um, as ever, you know, connect with me on social media. I'm quite big on LinkedIn these days. But the easiest thing is to come to my website at www.ianbrody.com. Um, and either on the homepage there, depending on the time of year, or at all times, uh, the, the thing that I think I have that gives the most value to people is about doing marketing that doesn't take all your time and doesn't require you to be like a, a professional salesperson or a world-class marketer. It's like marketing for real people who have clients to work with or have you know, an operation to run, how can you do that in at most a day a week? Or So I call it the 30-minute marketing plan um, because the, the stuff in the plan you should be able to do in 30 minutes a day and get an effective marketing system up and running. And I've got a thing called the 30-minute marketing plan checklist, which basically takes you through all, this, all the things you need to have that system up and running. Um, so if you go to ianbrody.com forward slash checklist, um, you'll be able to sign up for and download that um that checklist that's probably if you want the most value from me quickly that's probably the best place to go cool just want to make sure that for people listening you might want to uh, take this down so Ian, Ian Brody is I-A-N-B-R-O-D-I-E ianbrody.com correct Ian? yes and forward slash checklist of course the other thing you could do is buy my book on Amazon and I might get like a fraction of a penny for every sale <laughs> <laughs> and what uh, the book is called Email Persuasion. 
Email persuasion, usually, um, it's a few years old now, but usually if you just search for email marketing, it'll pop up there near the top. It's certainly got the most five-star reviews on Amazon of any book on email marketing, so it's fairly easy to find. Awesome. All right, Ian, thank you for sharing so much in this podcast. I think the listeners are going to like it and they're going to find so much value in this. Thank you again for your time. My pleasure. All right, thank you guys for listening. If you're not listening this on our website, go to academy.birdsend.co slash three to get your show notes. This show is brought to you by Birdsend email marketing tool, the only email marketing tool specifically created for online course creators. Get your free forever account at birdsend.co. That's bird as in the flying bird and send as in sending emails. birdsend.co.